to top it all off, we had a marlin uh, attack our boat, um, which we initially thought was a was a shark attack, um, but it was essentially midday, and uh, we were uh, we were in rowing one of our shifts, and and we got rammed by what felt like a truck, um, and we quickly realized that a marlin's bill had punctured the hull of our boat and missed my teammate's leg by about six inches. Um, Hi, Mike Ritchie here from D3 Multisport Triathlon Coaching. On today's Trust the Process podcast, we're talking with D3 athlete Dixon McDonald. Dixon recently finished Ironman Florida in sub 930 with a uh, 45 plus minute PR. Definitely had some challenges this season, sprained an ankle, had some back issues. Eight weeks out from the race, we weren't sure he was even going to be on the start line. Um, He is just one tough guy. He has had the experience of rowing across the Atlantic, which is absolutely unfathomable to me. Um, I think it's crazy, 3,000 miles. Um, He has a lot of uh, willpower and he can draw on experiences like that when racing an Ironman. This is a great interview with a guy that um, just has so much mojo and uh, willingness to, you know, do what it takes to to be as fast and as the best guy that he can on race day. It's it just an amazing uh, interview. I hope you enjoy it. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, please like it, share it with your friends, and uh, follow us. Thanks, and we'll appreciate any feedback. Thank you. Hi, Mike Ritchie here, D3 Multisport Podcast with Dixon McDonald. Dixon just got finished with Ironman Florida, and uh, I want to welcome on welcome him on the show. And um, how's everything going, Dixon? Great. Happy to be uh, on, on the other side of Ironman, Florida. <laughs> I bet. I bet. So take us, before we get into all that, let's just go back a little bit. Like what was your, um, what was your background as a kid playing sports and, and all that? And how did that evolve into triathlon, I guess? Yeah. So, you know, I was lucky. I, I, I grew up with very active parents and, um, you know, from an early age, um, got to see my dad uh, working out pretty much every morning before work, you know, I think his, his alarm would go off well before 6am and, uh, he would, uh, you know, disappear into the the gym in the apartment building that we lived in, in New York. And, um, so, you know, I think from an early age, seeing that level of consistency certainly, uh, creates a really solid foundation. And, and my parents guided me towards a pretty wide range of sports from, uh, ice hockey to tennis to lacrosse. Um, and as I, got into my high school years, I graduated primarily towards tennis, which was my, um, you know, r- really my focus. And and then going into college, um, that was actually when I stumbled upon in the endurance sports world. Uh, it was almost by luck in a way. I had a close friend who entered the New York City triathlon and the competitive side of me uh, wanted to beat him. And um, so I signed up. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Um, I wasn't, uh, I really had no background in either of the three disciplines aside from running around a tennis court and and one year of um of swimming in high school um and uh rented a a friend's steel frame bike uh didn't have a a clue about nutrition um but but was able to work my way to the finish line of of the new york city triathlon and immediately was hooked um and that led me to run my first half marathon my senior year of, of of college um again i i had no idea what I was doing. I didn't train. I just went out and ran 13, 13.1 miles. Um, and I couldn't walk for about three to four days afterwards, but I was looking at my times thinking, you know, what if I actually start putting some work into this thing, I might have some, you know, somewhat respectable times. And, 
um, when I graduated from college, I was introduced to uh, a, a, an amateur triathlon team called Full Throttle Endurance that that um, uh, kind of became my second second family in a way. Mm-hmm. And um, and with them, that really was the start of my triathlon career. Um, and started at sprint and Olympic dif- distance races, and kind of moved all the way up to Ironman races. And um, over the course of that period, just had a itch to try to get better and faster and learn more about the sport and and um you know thankfully was surrounded by uh great coaching like yourself among others and and great teammates who really supported me and in, in, in doing that that's pretty cool and so uh well let's dive in a little bit into college because i know post-college you had a big um big endurance event which mm-hmm. uh across the atlantic so tell me a little bit about that was that a race yeah. or was it for charity a, a- yeah, exactly. So for for context, it's a transatlantic ocean rowing race. It it takes place starts in the Canary Islands, finishes in Antigua. Uh, it's three thousand miles, um, and I had put together a, a four man team to do this race unsupported for charity. Uh, and it's an annual race. Um, and we the year we did it initially when we signed up, um, there were a little over thirty teams and a little over a hundred rowers that had signed up and. Um, that was in right around 2018 uh, for a December 2020 start. And as we all know, COVID hit in March or so of 2020. Everything shut down, um, including gyms, borders, et cetera. Um, and so uh, my three teammates and I were were really unsure whether or not we'd actually get to the start line of this race. Um, and, uh, we were lucky in that we, thankfully the, the, the borders opened up a little bit and we were able to complete the training that we needed, which included logging 120 hours, um, in one of the ocean rowing boats and a variety of different, um, certifications that we needed ranging from short range radio to, um, sea survival. Um, and being a kid from New York city, having grown up in an apartment, I certainly never thought that I would be taking a sea survival class ahead of rowing a boat across the Atlantic ocean. Um, but, uh, but we were lucky in that we, we were able to get through, um, you know, through training, um, and, um, through the, the depths of COVID in a, in a healthy way and, um, and ended up on the start line, December, 2020. And it took us 36 days, uh, five hours and 10 minutes to complete the journey. Um, and while we were out there, we faced everything from 30 foot waves to, uh, two massive storms, one of which wasn't even on the radar, so it, it caught us completely off guard. Uh, we had a power outage on day seven uh, near capsized with the snap door, and then to top it all off, we had a marlin uh, attack our boat, um, which we initially thought was a was a shark attack, um, but it was essentially midday, and uh, we were uh, we were in rowing one of our shifts and, and we got rammed by what felt like a truck. Um, and we quickly realized that a Marlins bill had punctured the hull of our boat and missed my teammates leg by about six inches. Um, and the shift patterns, just to give a sense of, of kind of how grueling this race is, um, you row in shifts of two hours on two hours off, um, 24 hours a day. So you never sleep for more than about an hour and 45 minutes at one time. Um, you're burning close to 10,000 calories a day and you're not consuming more than probably 5,000. So you're kind of in the state of constant calorie deprivation. Um, and because you're not walking um, on the boat at all, it's a 28 foot long or so boat and maybe three and a half feet wide, your calf muscles essentially atrophy. Um, so uh, 
you know, in, in a variety of ways, both mental and physical, it is a, uh, it's a, a brutal, brutal test of endurance, teamwork, selflessness, and um, just doing whatever it takes to try to get to the finish line. That's wild. That's wild. So obviously you had some big challenges there. And <laughs> so you, you were able to repair the boat, obviously, right? And yeah. That was great. Did you do that from the inside or the outside? So we um we we were lucky that we had a um we had a repair kit on board. Yeah. Um and so we were able to what we ended up doing was we had about six or seven inches of this Marlins bill that was sticking out of the hull, the inside of our boat. And so we hacksawed off that bill. We left probably another six inches or so of the bill that was wedged in between the layers of, of the hull of the boat there. Uh, we cut one of our uh, uh, dehydrated food packets in half, and we essentially used that as a seal to put on the floor of the cabin um, and combined with epoxy resin that stuck for the re remaining 1,000 miles or so that we had. Wow. Um, so we were lucky that we were able to fix it, but when it happened, uh, we we certainly thought that, that we were going to have to evacuate, but there was water gushing into the stern cabin. Uh, we had gotten our grab back out in preparation to potentially need to evacuate and had... Um, checked in with um, the security officer who was helping manage the race from land. Uh, and he very nicely guided us through what we needed to do to, to try to get through that. And, and thankfully we did, but it was definitely a, uh, a pretty hair. Well, it could have been a much more harrowing experience, but we yeah. thankfully got through it in about six hours and, and we're well on our way rowing again after that. Right. So a flat tire on the bike is nothing, right? You can fix that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, it definitely puts triathlon training and racing into perspective. It, right. it, they're it, not to take away from anything triathlon specific, but I, I would say what was the most challenging aspect of that race compared to being in a triathlon is there's no shoulder, there's no ability to get off. You're you're on the boat, you're in the middle of the ocean, it's unsupported. So whether it's storms, snap doors, dehydration um sleep deprivation you're in it um and and you know this applies to to triathlon as well but um you know the more you complain the more you don't want to do what you're supposed to be doing the slower you go and the longer it takes to get to the finish line so right. um you know despite all the face the challenges that we faced we were always committed to to you know not fighting with each other when when the going got tough yeah. and, and yeah. staying committed to the task at hand which ultimately got us to shore uh you know, faster than I think it otherwise would have. Right. That's awesome. That's, I mean, what great lessons to take with you, especially mm -hmm. you know, training for a nine, 10 hour event that mm -hmm. you want to go as fast as you can. Right. Mm -hmm. the whole yeah. idea. So do you think that, uh, you know, some of those, uh, lessons played your part in, you know, racing long distance strap on, like you can kind of, um, you know, pull some of those thoughts up and say, okay, this isn't as bad as this situation. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think, I think a, a few things. First off, is um, you know training for uh, whether it's it's rowing across the Atlantic Ocean or training for uh, an Ironman. As you and I have talked about so many times, it's one about trusting the process, um, and two just about being consistent. And right. regardless of what headwinds you may face, figuring out a way just to navigate them. And yeah. you know, as soon as COVID hit, our reaction as a team was not okay, you know, this happened, we're going to drop out of the race. It was like, this actually is a huge advantage to us um, in, a, in a way, because let's, let's use this opportunity to train 
extra hard. Let's figure out a way, you know, even though gyms are closed, let's figure out a way along with our coach to, you know, continue to effectively train for this, whether that's being right. on an erg, you know, in an apartment, in a garage, you know, wherever you can kind of dig one up, um, you know, going for weighted vest runs outside, but just figuring out a way, regardless of, of what the external factors were to get through it. So we could get ourselves to the start line in the best shape possible. Right. Um, and so, you know, that, that, um, I think we use the headwind as a way to motivate us when others were maybe doubting us. And I certainly think that that's applicable when it comes to training for triathlons, whether it's injuries that you face or, um, you know, a, a packed work or personal schedule, um, you know, regardless of what it is, just trying to be as consistent as possible, not making excuses um, and just using whatever the the metaphor more metaphorical storm is as motivation to help grind through it. Um, and again, as you and I have talked about, you know, in a way, when when you face a lot of those hardships in training, it just better prepares you for race day. Um, and when you are racing and you have an ache or a pain, which inevitably happens, especially over the course of a long distance race, whether it's in your you know, legs, back, or mental, um, you just can revert back to those moments in training when you said, man, this just absolutely sucks. And I want to get off the bike. I want to stop running. I'm cramping. I haven't taken enough carbs. Whatever the reason is, if, if it happened in training and you start to feel that in a race, you can say, look, I know I've overcome this in training. So I know that I can overcome it in this race. And at the end of the day, in X number of hours, it'll be over and you'll be, you know, on the couch, you know, with a big plate of food in front of you. Right. Right. So, you know, going into Florida, uh, you had a strain from tennis and then mm -hmm. got back on track and then had an issue with your back mm -hmm. and one man can only take so many body blows. Right. And, yep. and I think that, uh, you know, if, if we look at like even September 30th, September 15th, mm -hmm. the chances you do in the race, if they were 50, 50, I would say that would be pretty good. But I didn't mm -hmm. know that they were there because, you know, there was a lot of doubt if you could get your back healthy enough and mm -hmm. your legs, which you hadn't been running because of the back. And then the cap mm -hmm. and we'd only put in minimal amount of running. Yep. Um, you know, what, uh, you know, what got you over the hump there to just say, okay, I've got six weeks. I'm going to just do the best I can. And obviously we were doing more cycling. So that was helping. A yeah. ton. And then when the back yeah. was healthy, obviously you're swimming as much as you could. Um, but you know, that, like I said, I mean, sometimes you can just only take so many hits, right? Mm -hmm. It hurts. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we got, you know, we got to early, you know, mid September or so, and you're kind of on the fence, like what kind of got mm -hmm. you out of bed every day to get the workouts in and say, okay, I just, I'm just going to knock this out and, you know, it'll be what it's going to be. Yeah. So I think, you know, in, in July, when, when the ankle sprain happened, um, you know, again, it, I think it's all about the supporting staff that you have around you, so to speak, mm -hmm. and, and the kind of the support you get from um, coaching and family and friends. And you and I were very quick to adapt my training schedule to account for the fact that, okay, I can't run, you know, for the time being, I can't really bike either. So let's get in the pool. Let's, let's keep the aerobic work high. Um, and and, you know, swim, you know, really as many yards as you possibly can in the span of a week. And right. so, you know, we were able to adapt training to accommodate for that, for the ankle injury. Um, and then as my ankle slowly improved while I still couldn't run, I was able to obviously bike. And so you and I focused a lot on, on getting my, my cycling power up. Um, and then, um, 
you know, before my run even really came back, I had some pretty severe back spasms, um, so much so that I couldn't get out of bed for um, a two and a half day period. And I think it was mid-September, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was around that time where, you know, you and I, um, you know, had a conversation about, okay, you know, is, is Ironman Florida realistic? And should we just call it a season and, and kind of tie a bow on it after missing age group nationals because of my ankle? And focus on 2024 and um you know you to your credit you <laughs> i think you you definitely push me as well to to um to not mail it in um mm-hmm. and you know having been through uh ha- having had prior you know lingering injuries um I, i've had foot surgery before i've had achilles issues um, that have knocked me out of races or at least deferred my ability to race in past races and you know speaking to the rowing race as well where you know every day there was some part of your body that that um, was either hurting or fatigued um, just knowing that that if you adapt training you know you, you can still stay on track to ultimately get to where you want to be um, but again, it goes back to just a belief in in what you're doing and just using whatever uh, whatever injury you're kind of dealing with in the moment, using it just as as a form of motivation to say, look, you know, people might be counting me out, and maybe there is maybe that's imaginary, and and just you're using that as a tool to, to self motivate. But um, you know, whenever those injuries happened, I looked at it as a challenge to myself to try to come back stronger and come back on the other side of it, saying you know what, if, if I didn't think that I could break 930 in an Ironman and, um, you know, I, I just didn't think that was even in the cards, but, um, you know, by staying consistent and staying motivated, um, and just controlling what you can control, you know, that, that ultimate, and, and also thankfully having a a very patient fiance who put up with, with my occasional mood swings during my injuries, um, you know, that, that certainly, um, you know, was, was the support that I needed to get to the start of the race and then have, you know, I, I think luckily a, a really solid race. Well, I had more to do it lo- more than luck, but yeah, I hear you. Yeah. 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 So, you know, you got, you got like, like we talked about before the race, like, yeah, specifically, you know, you didn't have your long runs in mm-hmm. you know, as many as we wanted, we did a couple, mm-hmm. um, but you've got years of endurance and that, that all matters. Um, and it all, mm-hmm. matters, you know, um, yeah. The and, and I think it's all just, you know, and like I said, you're at some point in that race, your quads are going to go and that's, mm-hmm. what you're going to have to deal with. And, you know, you mm-hmm. don't fall off too much. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's awesome. I think, you know, uh, a lot of good takeaways in there. I mean, obviously, you know, your back's against the wall and, you know, you're mm-hmm. counting yourself out. Maybe you're not counting mm-hmm. yourself out. Maybe other people are counting you out. You've got mm-hmm. a good support staff, you know, people around you helping you out, you know, family, friends. Um, mm-hmm. I was doing whatever I could to, you know, keep you uplifted. Mm-hmm. I know it was mm-hmm. you know, dark days in there for sure. And, yeah. uh, you know, I was really bummed about it. It's like, oh, and, and the other side of it, I'm like, you're so close to just mm-hmm. going out there and just having a great swim and a great bike. Mm-hmm. And let's see what the run run is, right? And if you run 330, yeah. which I think is well below your capability, that's fine. And that's yeah. kind of how it went, right? But, um, well, take me through the day because I, I think mm-hmm. that uh, it started out really well and I think it finished mm-hmm. really strong. And if you just want to, you know, kind of recap, it'd be great. Yeah. Um, so in, in terms of in terms of race day, um, we we had really great weather. Um, it was it definitely was lining up to, I think, be a pretty fast day on the course. So mm-hmm. the starting 
temperature in the morning was around 55 degrees. The water temp was, I think, right around 74 and a half, maybe 75 degrees. So just inside of wetsuit legal. Um, and it was a two lap swim course. Um, and I started um, with the group that I think was was right around the 55 minute mark. Um, and so right when the gun, gun went off, um, the, the first lap, the, the, it was just open water. And so I quickly found um, someone's feet um, and was able to sit on them for the vast majority of the first lap. Um, the, the water conditions, I think from, you know, how that race can historic or has historically sometimes been, I think were, you know, very manageable. There, there wasn't big surf. There was maybe a little chop once you got out past the pier. Um, I would say the biggest distraction was that there were just thousands of jellyfish. <laughs> um, and thankfully none of them were, uh, were the, the stinging kind, or at least none that I felt. I think I maybe had one minor sting at some point throughout the, the 2.4 mile swim, but nothing severe. Um, and then the second lap, um, you, you had to get out of the water, run for about a hundred or so yards on the beach and then start the second lap. And then you kind of plow into the, um, the, the back swim pack that had fairly recently got into the, into the water. And so that was, that was a little challenging, just trying to navigate around, um, a, a pretty huge pack of other age group athletes, um, that were just starting their first lap of the swim. Um, and so I took, um, initially I tried to, to hug the buoys, um, and it just ended up being a, a, a total cluster, um, and people swimming in a variety of different directions. And, um, so I ended up navigating kind of towards the outside of, of the pack. And even though I think that meant me probably swimming a little bit longer than the 2.4 miles, I think it, it, my hope is that it saved a little bit of time versus getting caught in the inside where, um, you know, I just, I, I wouldn't have been able to really navigate. Um, and so I came in, um, uh, pretty much an hour flat. Um, I think my first lap was 28 minutes. My second lap, obviously a little bit slower. And I think that was just due to congestion, um, on, sure. on, on the, on the course. Um, and then the first transition was, was definitely long and I, I kind of knew that going in. So I was able to manage my expectations that it would be right around a seven, eight minute, um, T1, um, and so took my time, didn't run, you know, too fast, was able to get my wetsuit off pretty quickly out of getting out of the water, um, and got onto the bike with, with no real issues. Um, I'm someone who definitely prefers colder weather versus hotter weather, despite being based in South Florida. Um, and so I think the temperature may have been in the low sixties or so by the time we started, which for me actually is, is really comfortable. Um, I didn't have any arm warmers or gloves on, although there were definitely athletes that were putting those on. Um, and for the bike, um, my heart rate monitor, um, didn't connect to my Garmin bike computer. Um, my power was there, um, but I, for, for the entirety of, of the bike course, um, I was unable to get my, my heart rate monitor to connect. And mm -hmm. so, you know, initially that was, um, a little bit of a distraction. And, and I think what happened was, and, and whoever's listening might be able to, to correct me if I'm, if I'm speaking out of turn here, but I think my heart rate monitor was still connected to my watch from the swim. Um, and I hadn't saved my swim workout yet. Uh, um, so I think that's what caused an issue. And I tried to briefly stop my Garmin bike computer to, to, connect my heart rate monitor, but it just ended up being complicated. And I knew from having in, in the lead up to the race, I guess, for context, you know, we had programmed five consecutive weekends of rides ranging anywhere from a hundred miles to a hundred and just inside of 130 miles. Right. 
Um, and I knew in those conditions that my heart rate pushing, you know, normalized power of somewhere between 210 ish Watts that my heart rate should be right around kind of mid one thirties to, to kind of low to mid one forties. And, and so I, I, quickly just trusted that my my hour numbers were correct and, mm -hmm. and based on the handful of 100 plus mile rides that we had done within those yeah. tar those power ranges that if I stuck to that power that I would be you know hopefully fine getting off the bike mm -hmm. um, and you know thankfully that's what happened and and throughout the bike course um, stuck to the nutrition plan that, that we had tested um, you know for for a very long time um, that, that worked for me um, on the bike course itself, the first probably 20 or 30 miles, there there were some light headwinds. I think there were sustained winds of, of maybe nine, 10 miles an hour or so, um, gusting a little bit higher than that. Um, and then the the back probably 30 or so miles of the bike race had, had a tailwind. Mm -hmm. So it was a little bit of a challenging start, but certainly nice on those later miles to, to see your speed, you know, hovering well above your average as your average kind of slowly creeped up, um, you know, working your way into the run. Um, and then I guess on, on the run, um, I, within the first mile, both my what quads, was your, uh, your bike split was 450, right? Yeah. 450. So okay. average, I think that's a 23.2 mile an hour or so average. Figured 20, 452 to 455, 58, something like that. Yeah, right? exactly. So right came in, you know, right on target, which was, which was great. Um, and, and then came into T2, um, again, no issues, was able to pretty quickly mm -hmm. transition from, from bike to run. Um, and body was feeling good for the most part. Although I would say what was most challenging about the Ironman Florida bike course, despite being, I think, a, you know, a fast course is that it's flat. So you're in arrow for, you know, 98% of that mm -hmm. entire bike course. And that definitely affects your shoulders, your neck, your back, um, you know, pretty dramatically. Um, and uh, again, having trained in South Florida, which is flat as a pancake, you know, we were lucky in that, um, you know, I just got to train in, in that exact environment. But, you know, when you are training, maybe you get up a little bit more than you actually do on race day. So, so that was, you know, certainly a, a challenge on race day, but I think one that we were, you know, ultimately prepared for. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the bike course, the goal was to run right around 740 to eight minute or so miles. Um, and within the first mile, both quads started seizing up a little bit. And so I, I initially thought this was going to be a really long day um, and might end up having to walk the marathon. And um, I looked down at my watch and realized that, I was running around seven minute miles, which is dramatically faster, but I felt my legs felt so heavy that I was yeah. convinced that my watch was wrong. Um, and I just thought there's absolutely no, like, I thought I was running nine and a half minute miles or, you know, right. walking nine and a half minute miles. I didn't think I was running sevens. Um, and, and that um, changes so your I, perspective immediately, right? Yeah, immediately, immediately. So I, I, I was slowed it down. I think maybe after the first mile, when my, my watch clicked off, I think a seven ten or seven eleven first mile, yeah. um, and then was able to settle into, um, you know, miles more in that kind of seven forty ish range. Um, and the, it was a two loop out and back course. The outs were very straightforward, um, mm -hmm. slightly down, down, um, downhill at times with a little bit of a tailwind so that was actually really comfortable it was the the coming back into panama city beach where it was you faced a little bit more of an uphill headwind um and that was mentally really tough um 
And I just kept telling myself, just try to get to the halfway point. You'll turn around, you'll have another six or so miles that are where you have a little bit of a tailwind and you can just kind of coast those and then, you know, turn it around and, and just put your head down and try to grind out the last 10. Right. Um, and so when with 10 miles left, really just try to compartmentalize each mile, hit each aid station, um, kind of treat treat those last 10 miles as intervals. As, and, and as they were ticking off, I just told myself, OK, you have 10 percent less, 10 percent less. Um, and um, around the time that I was touching on four and a half or so miles left, I knew that if I blew up, which essentially meant running nine minute miles or slower that I wouldn't break the three thirty mark on the marathon. And, and I knew that I probably wouldn't break the nine thirty mark um, for the overall course time. Um, and so I, I managed to negative split each of the last four miles um, of the race. Um, I think I had started slowing down and, and my slowest mile was an eight forty six, mm-hmm. And I think I went eight forty six, eight forty three. um, kind of eight, eight flattish. And I think my last mile was, was right around seven fifteen. Um, so, you know, I don't know if that necessarily, I, I don't think I had any more to give. I, I was certainly in a, in a world of pain at that point. Um, but really, really proud of the fact, um, that I was able to, um, to get through those last few miles at a, at a, a solid clip. And, um, when I crossed the finish line, I, I saw my fiance and I actually didn't know what my total time was. I knew what my marathon time was, but not my right. total time. And she pulled up the, the, the finishing time and I came in 58 seconds inside of nine 30. Um, yeah. so the, the goal that we had set out of, which I think was the lofty goal of, of coming in at nine 30, yeah. you know, we, we, sure. we broke we broke by 58 seconds. So, um, so was really pleased with the outcome. Um, and, um, it, it, you know, it it was one of those days where the stars aligned and and was able to have a great race, which can be few and far between sometimes, but, um, you know, when it does come together and you execute the plan, it's, it's, there's, there aren't, there aren't too many better feelings than that. Right. That's awesome. No, I'm super proud of the effort you put in. I mean, especially finishing with that, that big, you know, last mile, almost as fast Mm -hmm. as the first mile. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that, that was incredible. And I think that, uh, you know, it just, now we know you can do an Ironman on, you know, six solid weeks of training. We don't ever want to mm-hmm. do that again, but we know, you know, I, like we, we talked about, you know, there's a lot of time left on the table in terms mm-hmm. of, cause that run fitness, you know, when you get it up to where it needs to be, it affects mm-hmm. everything, right? It makes mm-hmm. it easier. It makes biking easier and, yep. you know, Biking, even even biking a 4:45, five minutes less is going to give you some more energy, mm-hmm. you know, for the run. And so that run, I mean, you you probably got a good 15, 20 minutes there. We can probably take out of that, which yeah. I'm looking forward to. Um, but you know, I think it's a good launching point for next year, whether you race an Ironman or not. Um, mm-hmm. You know, especially if you're going to focus on 70.3. I mean, it's, it's all mm-hmm. things to be determined, or you know, go to age group nationals and have a great race there. But mm-hmm. I think you know, the whole season for you, and, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think that you know, June, July, or maybe, maybe, maybe up to June, like things were looking pretty good and mm-hmm. everything got a couple of injuries with the, you know, the ankle sprain and then the back, and then it kind of goes south. Mm-hmm. My, my feeling honestly was just like, let's go have a decent race. Like let's go mm-hmm. 940, 945, set the goal mm-hmm. for 930, but let's just go out there and have something to launch into next year saying, okay, all that mm-hmm. training worth it. It paid off. I, mm-hmm. I know I can bike 450. Right. We know you could, you know, mm-hmm. you probably that, that swim wasn't long, but the times were slow, I think, because of the current. Mm-hmm. The pros were 52, 53 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was off by a good, you know, whatever that is, you know, a few percentage points there. But mm-hmm. um, 
I just wanted to see you launch into next year saying the training was worthwhile. I had some value and now yeah. I can launch into next year with some motivation, not finish the season, like, you know, mid September, you know, putting a bow on it, like you said, and just mm -hmm. being like, okay, what do we do? Do a half marathon in December? Like that wasn't going to, yeah. wasn't going to no. quench your time. You know? No, de def definitely not. And, 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 you know, just briefly speaking to, to the beginning of the season, you know, I, I had, I had a, a really strong beginning of the season, you know, we, we decided to race challenge Miami and, and had a really good race there, I think finished in four hours and 19 minutes. And then pretty soon thereafter ran a half marathon and ran a one twenty half. Um, and then there was an Olympic, um, distance race near, nearby in South Florida and, and, um, you know, came in, I think third overall in that, in that race, um, on the amateur side of things. And so I would, I definitely had a, a huge amount of confidence going into early July and then, um, and then the ankle sprain happened and it just kind of, it, it felt like at the time that it just torpedoed, you know, all the work that we've been putting in, which was very frustrating. But, you know, again, to your point that you, that you had made, you know, you just, the sooner you kind of accept whether it's a failed workout or, you know, you accept the injury, the quicker you get over it. And, and, you know, the shorter amount of time that you, you're kind of stuck feeling bad for yourself. Um, and, uh, and, and again, you know, the, the quicker you do accept it, the faster you can hopefully recover and figure out a way to navigate that. And so, um, you know, I think without having, you know, bought into that philosophy, I, I don't think that a, a sub 930 Ironman would have been possible in early November. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely a reach. I mean, definitely a reach, but you, you executed it. I mean, it, it. The day went well. The weather was great. The swim was a little slow. I mean, look, that could have mm -hmm. been a 925 on a better, a better yeah. you know, swim day. Um, yeah. But I, I think the other side is that um, all that fitness actually does matter, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the old adage, and it's kind of a, a joke, but it's the truth. Like, you can't get a triathlete to work on a weakness unless mm -hmm. they get injured. Right. And mm -hmm. your biking is not your weakness. Your running is not, mm -hmm. I, mean, I don't know if you have any weaknesses really, but the fact that you're able to put all those miles on the bike helped a ton mm -hmm. help run. Right. So that yeah. run is just going to get better and better. That bike now, you, now, you know what a big block on the bike does and we can do a couple of those in next year, no matter mm -hmm. what you do. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that stuff's all just, I think, low hanging fruit, which is, you know, a lot of fun mm -hmm. to look forward to, to coaching you and, uh, what the race season looks like next year. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. And, and, uh, you know, the addicting part of, of this whole, uh, of, of triathlon or the exciting part, especially as you get a little bit older is, you know, there, there are, there are three sports aside from maybe running, but, um, you know, I'm at an age where I'm, I'm kind of lucky enough that I feel like I still have a, a solid, you know, five to 10 years where I can get faster. Um, and where, you know, I think we can hopefully chase that sub nine hour mark, um, yeah, you know, on a, on a flat course, um, which, which is really exciting and, and, and certainly keeps me motivated. And, and, um, again, it, it goes back to, you know, having, having a, a, a great support system that is, you know, supportive of, you know, me getting up at, at, at early hours and, and disappearing for, you know, half a Saturday to, to spend right. six hours on the bike and run and, you know, then come back exhausted. And, and, uh, but again, at the end of the day, I, I, I love the process. I love the journey. And, and, you know, I just, I, I really thoroughly enjoy training for these races and, and seeing, you know, what the body and mind are, are capable of. Um, and so I, I, I definitely, whether it's another Ironman or a shorter course race, you know, this is something that I, I would love to do as long as my body is capable of, of doing it. Um, and hopefully that's for many more decades to come. So, um, so yeah, again, just, just really happy to, to have done Ironman Florida and looking forward to what's next. 
Awesome. Well, thanks so much for uh, the conversation. I think we all had a lot of takeaways and learned a ton, so really appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Trust the Process. If you have a question on anything related to triathlon, please send me an email at mike at d3multisport.com. We'd love to hear from you. Make it a great day.